Hey guys, Michael here from The Light Patrol. Full disclosure, what you're about to hear is actually episode 3 of the podcast. Brennan and I recorded two episodes before this, but feel they didn't fully represent us in what we're trying to do. They will probably be released in the future, but in the meantime, don't worry about our references to those episodes. We hope you enjoy the show. Let's get on to the podcast. There are stories being told by people who are out of their minds. That's what we've always believed. So we have some news up top. We actually have a name now. We are Lie Patrol. We have an email set up. You can email us at thelipatrol at gmail.com. Um, oh, and uh, I guess we have a mission statement too. Uh, so uh, we are an edutainment podcast that brings to light ingenious, interesting, and sometimes unbelievable stories from history and mix in creative storytelling. Every episode, we hope you learn at least four facts that you can use around the dinner table or at the bar to astound your family, friends, or that person who won't stop talking to you. The headlines are ear-catching, that-can't-be-true-factoids, while the explanations show you just how real they are. Every week, there will be two little lies thrown into the mix to keep us on our toes and vigilant for the truth. Uh, this week's topic is mummies. And uh, before we start, uh, we apologize in advance for any mispronunciations that occur. Uh, we tried to do our due diligence to find the correct pronunciations and names and places, but uh, there will be a couple times in this episode we fall short. Well, I can't speak for Brenna, but I definitely will. All right. Well, now that we got all that out of the way. Okay. Uh, so here are my three. The oldest mummy in North America was found near Reno, Nevada. Okay. <laughs> uh, artists in the 16th to 19th centuries used ground-up mummies to make a type of yellow paint. Mummy yellow. <laughs> okay. Egypt stole a Missouri Museum's mummy to fake an extraterrestrial encounter. Okay, I'm gonna go with. Uh, What's uh? Which one do you want to start off with? Which truth do you want to start off with? I think the one that's true. What was the first one? First one was, the oldest mummy in North America was found near Reno, Nevada. No, because I know where that is. I don't think that's true. I think it's a yellow paint one. Let's go with that one. Mummy yellow. Don't. Okay, we'll just tell you're, you. You're over three. <laughs> Okay, so this one's just a... How is this like this? Yeah, I, I, I'm very good at fooling you, apparently. Uh, so this is only a small lie. The, uh, the actual color was mummy brown. Whatever. By the 16th century, the export of mummies to Europe to be used for medicine was big business, despite being illegal. The Europeans crushed, crushed the mummies up as medicine, but then turned to other uses for them, including eating and drinking. Kind of weird. Uh, another use was paint. By mixing crushed up mummy with myrrh and white pitch, artists could create mummy brown or caput mortum. This uh, this color <laughs> sorry <laughs> this color was made and used up until the 20th century. It's known to have good transparency and uh, it was exceptional for glazes, flesh tones, and shading. I bet it was good for flesh tones, huh? Mm -hmm. Don't you it think it would be exactly like a little on the nose for flesh tones? Okay, well. Um, we're gonna do uh, we're gonna do the oldest mummy last because apparently you don't think so. Okay, well, because I, in my research, it said it was somebody or somewhere else. <laughs> Interesting. 
Uh, Egypt stole a Missouri Museum's mummy to fake an extraterrestrial encounter. So th this is this is obviously true, but uh, stole. I didn't think that was false. Stole <laughs> is a relative term. So in March 2016, Worldwide Science Stories uh, published an article citing anonymous scientists that they had discovered an alien mummy in an in an Egyptian pyramid. They cited the Egyptian Department of Antiquities. Remember that that'll be important. In 1985, the St. Louis Science Center received an amazing mummy via a private collection. The mummy, nicknamed the Child Mummy, is roughly 60 inches tall and was acquired by a private collector around the turn of the 20th century. The collector was a dentist who was traveling through the Middle East, and it was passed around the, his family until after his passing. Eventually, a niece of the original collector displayed it on Halloween. Uh, in 1985, the mummy was donated. The mummy stayed in storage at the SLSC until around 2006 when the new president of the museum noticed it in storage the president of the museum rightfully wanted it categorized and researched the mummy was found to be from around 40 bc to 130 a.d from radiocarbon dating the museum also sent out dna samples of tissue the mummy's mother the mummy's mother's lineage can be traced back to european descent anytime a scholarly article is written with anonymous sources all sorts of red flags should shoot up uh the egyptian department of antiquities yeah, that got renamed in 2011 to the Ministry of State for Antiquities. Interesting. So the department didn't exist. The photos that Egypt used? Heavily photoshopped photos of the child mummy that the St. Louis Science Center released around 2008. The entire thing was fake to drum up tourism in Egypt and the pyramids. You would think that of all the places on the planet that would need help with tourism, Egypt wouldn't be one of the ones. <laughs> I guess contrary. One of the more interesting <laughs> things that reared its head was in 2011... Uh, Zawi Havas was appointed Minister of the State for Antiquities by militant Egyptian leader Hosni Mubarak. Two months into his stint as minister, the Egyptian riots broke out and several artifacts were stolen from the Egyptian museum. Havas was cited as saying that the Egyptian people should not believe the lies and fabrications of Al Jazeera and Al Arabia news channels. He continued by saying, they should give us the opportunity to change things, and if nothing happens, they can march again. But you can't bring in a new president now, in this time. We need Mubarak to stay and make the transition. The uh, mm. Full circle and putting on our tinfoil hats, Hosni Mubarak resigned on February 11, 2011, due to growing protests and allegations on abuse of power and corruption. Zawi Havas was resigned four weeks later on March 3, 2011. It's an interesting footnote to the... Uh, extraterrestrial mummy extraterrestrial mummy <laughs> and the egyptian department of antiquities weird yeah. although i mean you know it's always tied together okay well that's okay. pretty cool so this is my favorite uh one that i researched this week and it has a, there's a little mini one to go along with it yeah and also i'm realizing i mixed up the stories in my head this probably does make sense because i'm pretty sure i knew about this one before too really okay. yeah <laughs> wait isn't it uh somewhere in um like south it's near fallon it is near fallon yes so uh we probably won't really talk about our personal lives very much and for good reason there's not really a need to but this story is a little little close to home as brenda grew up in reno and i lived there for about five years have you ever heard about this apparently you have uh, i have but point. not until i moved away <laughs> anyways yeah i had no idea uh there's a prehistoric lake bed south of reno north of carson city the capital of nevada uh, the Great Basin Desert expands eastward and covers an area of 190,000 square miles. It's the largest desert in the United States. Nevada is interesting because there's really only three big cities, and then small towns scatter the desert be between. One of these towns is Fallon. 
Back in 1940, guano mining was big business in Nevada. At the time, both gold and silver were still being mined out of the Nevada hills. $13.4 million in gold and $3.5 million in silver were mined. This caused the Nevada State Park Commission to start surveying land to preserve it for ecology reasons. Uh, really, this was happening previous to 1940, but for the story, just bear with me. Uh, the husband and wife archaeological team of Sydney and Georgia Wheeler adventured into Spirit Cave, 13 miles out of Fallon in 1940. They didn't find guano, but what they did find was the oldest human mummy in North America. They actually found two mummies and a total of 76 artifacts in the cave. Can I ask, when you're saying guano, you mean I mean bat poop? Bat poop. Yeah. Okay, good. Just to clarify. What they were mining was guano. <laughs> okay. Originally, the older mummy was only dated at about 2,000 years old. It wouldn't be until radiocarbon dating in the 90s that would reveal that the mummy was over 10,600 years old. Whoa! DNA sequencing later revealed the mummy to be of the lineage of the Fallon Paiute Shoshone tribe of Nevada. The tribe had claimed the cave as part of their ancestral homeland. So this is where the story gets real messed up. Uh, the reason that the DNA sequencing was necessary was because of a legal battle between the Bureau of Land Management and the Fallon Paiute Shoshone tribe. The BLM did not want to repatriate the mummy to the tribe. The tribe sued the U.S. government for violating the Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Act. And in 2015, the tribe allowed scientists to complete the DNA sequencing, proving that the mummy was one of their ancestors. The mummy was returned in 2016 and privately buried in 2018 by the tribe. That's, that's a good end to that mummy story. And then there, there's a little, little addendum to this. So Pyramid Lake is only about 100 miles away from Spirit Cave. In 1965, at the northern end of Pyramid Lake, another set of remains were found. This section of beach at Pyramid is called Wizard Beach. The remains were called the Wizard Beach Man. This man was dated back 9,200 years and shared a lot of physical characteristics with the Indian ancestor at Spirit Cave. There aren't many water sources in Nevada and even less sources of food, so Pyramid Lake has been an integral to native populations, probably since its creation. It's not out of the realm of possibility that they may have been a part of the same tribe, or at least the two tribes crossed paths. DNA sequencing has not been performed on the Wizard Beach Man. That's so weird. Uh... Yeah, there's a lot of history close to home. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's, it's, you know, one of the most uh, anciently inhabited areas in the North Americas, along with South America. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty cool. I didn't know the whole story. Um, that sucks for me, though. Uh, are you ready to go? <laughs> I'm ready to go. What is it? Uh, three, uh, you're not six for six for eight. I don't know. I don't at know, least I don't know where you, we're at. So technically, you're not winning. You just haven't lost as badly as me. <laughs> you still haven't actually successfully picked the lie. True. But I've you successfully picked, you done the, the truth opposite. At all. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so first one: monks can't be mummies if they're still alive. Okay. Um, extraterrestrial mummies found in Chinese desert. Okay. Climate change is turning mummies into black ooze. Okay, so that one's true. Uh, can I hear the first two again? The first one is monks can't be mummies if they're still alive. Hmm. Okay. I mean, that seems true. <laughs> Extraterrestrial mummies found in Chinese desert. Okay, well, read number three first because I'm pretty sure that's true. Okay. So climate change is turning mummies into black ooze. That is a real headline, but it it wanted to be more accurate it would have read thanks to climate change the flesh is being eaten right off of our ancient faces because that is what is happening 
The Chinchorro mummies were first discovered in the Atacama Desert in modern-day Chile in 1914 and were found to be the oldest mummies ever recorded. The Chinchorro began artificially mummifying their dead around 5050 BCE, 2,000 years before any known Egyptian mummy. And this is uh, not, this is artificially mummifying them. So going through uh, ways to uh, actually mummify. Uh, so one of the things about the, 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 the Reno mummies is it wasn't explicitly said if they were artificial or if it because they were just buried in the cave the guano covered them i'm not sure that was, the article was very wishy-washy on whether whether it was the, the bat poop that had encased them yeah because there's a there's a big difference between natural mummification and artificial um so in the the oldest natural mummy found in the Atacama Desert ranges from, uh, he was found 7,020 BCE, which would be roughly 9,000 years ago, uh, which is a seriously old mummy. But not only were the Tinchero old mummifiers, they were very particular in the methods of mummifying. Between 5,000 BCE and 1,300 BCE, the Tinchero went, and can I just note, 5,000 to 1,300, that is thousands of years these people existed and mummified their people and i've been alive for 28 years and i think everything's crazy because of technology (laughs) (laughs) like the amount of time these people exist anyways that is a little off the point but wow um they went through four different phases of techniques of mummification the earliest cases involving the complete removal of all skin muscle tissue and organs while stuffing the body with plants and animal hair and either covering the body in painted clay or sewing the skin back on. Sometimes the disassembly of the body preceded the skinning. Later, there would be just incisions made for organ removal, and later still, the organs would not be removed at all, but the whole body would be encased in clay and gypsum. So since 1914, we found 282 mummies uh, in the desert, but something else has been happening in the desert as well. In March of 2015, All of the big news coverage sites wanted to talk about the black gelatinous sludge covering the bodies of these mummies who had not had a problem in over 7,000 years with decomposition. Since the mid-2000s, 120 mummies housed at the University of Tarapaca's Archaeological Museum began to turn to this ooze, and after testing humidity controls on pig skin, it was concluded that natural microorganisms living on the skin had been kickstarted into hungry, hungry hippo mode due to the recent rise in the normally arid region's humidity. The Atacama Desert is one of the driest deserts in the world, apart from Antarctica. However, Ralph Mitchell, the microbiologist brought in to study the situation, noted that the mummies were doing fine until this humid air and fog started to roll in. The mummies are now in climate-controlled settings at the museum. However, it is unclear how the recent change in the environment is going to affect the mummies still being exhumed from the coastal desert. According to a 2016 Smithsonian Magazine article, a $56 million museum was slated to be opened this year. 2020 to house the mummies however i was unable to find if that was still the case so yeah due to the changing climates now a bunch of fog is rolling in and humidity is rolling into the desert and it's just uh making these organisms the perfect time for feeding make it like a different ecosystem almost exactly and they're they're munching down on some human jerky right now Uh, i wouldn't call it jerky (laughs) well you know it's a little dry. Ooze. <laughs> well, it's turning to ooze, though, because the microorganisms are eating it. So, yeah, that was true. Okay. Uh, read the read the first two again. Let me... I'm so... Cl- I, <laughs> I feel it this week. I'm feeling it this week. Okay. 
this might be your week who knows uh first one is monks can't be mummies if they are still alive and the second one is extraterrestrial mummies found in chinese desert read read number one read number one i'm pretty sure that's true that's too ridiculous (laughs) to not be true so monks can't be mummies if they're still alive okay well let me ask you something how far would you go to follow the path of your teacher if you had already given your physical life to your beliefs would you follow the path through death would you michael I'm going to pass. <laughs> I think one lifetime's good enough. <laughs> well, for some, you're probably never going to be a Buddha, which is just utterly shocking, I have to say. I did not think that it would turn out that way for you. Poor <laughs> you. <laughs> okay, so the original Buddha, known as, uh, when he was alive, it was either Siddhartha Gautama or Siddhartha Gautama. Uh, first began his teachings in ancient India between the 5th and 4th century BC, where he taught for 45 years. However, he was not given the title the Buddha, which means enlightened or awakened one, until centuries after his death. Buddhism, however, is the fourth largest religion in the world, extending from India through much of Asia, and has divided into many schools of teaching. One of the major schools of Buddhism is in Japan is called Shingon Buddhism, or Tongmi Buddhism in China, a type of esoteric Buddhism, meaning the teachings are exclusive and secretive, so one cannot just read a book to learn them. In fact, although Shingon teachings had been brought from Tang China to Japan over 1,100 years ago, a book had not even been written on the subject until the 1940s. So much of what we know about the lineage is passed down orally from teacher to student, including the practice of becoming a Sokushinbutsu. A Sokushinbutsu is what a Buddhist monk becomes if he manages to successfully self-mummify his body into what is known to followers as a living Buddha. It is believed that the first Sokushinbutsu was Kukai, also known as Kobodaishi, the founder of Shingon Buddhism, who died in 835 AD after having stopped drinking water and eating food, but instead meditated until his death. Instead of being cremated, as was the usual tradition, Kukai wished to be entombed, and according to legend, when the tomb was opened, sometime after, his body did not appear to have deteriorated, but instead looked as if he had been sleeping, and his hair had grown longer, owing to the belief that the monk was still alive and meditating at his Mount Koya temple, awaiting the appearance of Maitreya, or the next Buddha. The natural mummy of Kukai is on display at Mount Koya, and the temple monks bring offerings of food daily to honor his meditating form. Self-mummification has also been practiced in Japan by the ascetic mountain-dwelling Buddhists known as Shugendo as a way to continue one's bodhisattva or path towards Buddhahood. (laughs) There have been 24 successful living mummies, also known as living Buddhas, uh, discovered to date, which are on display in locations including India, China, Japan, and Thailand, and there's even a diet plan from the medieval era of Japan to help successfully mummify your body while you are alive. The process can take between 3 and 10 years where the monk will limit his food intake to pine needles, forged seeds, and resin, eliminating all fat from the body. Eventually, the monk will stop ingesting liquid or may even drink tea from the poisonous urushi tree to harden his organs and make them too poisonous for maggots to eat. Eventually, the monk is sealed in a tomb where he will meditate in the lotus position until death. In many cases, the tomb will have a breathing hole, or even a tube, and a bell on a string which the monk will ring to let his followers know he is still alive. Once the bell stops ringing, the tomb is sealed completely and will not be open for at least three years. Although 24 have been known to be successful, hundreds have tried. The failed monks will not be displayed and worshipped as their failure to mummify is treated as a failure in following the path of enlightenment. However, after the bodies are entombed, many temples will still honor the dead for their efforts. 
So what do you think of that? Do you think that's something you'd like to go see is one of these mummies? Yeah, that sounds really interesting in a very morbid way. Yeah, well, good, because if you're really curious, the next time you're in the Yamagata Prefecture in Japan, you can stop by the Denishibo Temple in Suruoka City, my bad for the pronunciations here, and witness Shinyokai, one of the oldest living Buddhas. And before you leave, grab a souvenir. A talisman made from the monk's old robes for 1,000 yen, or just under $10 U.S. (laughs) That's very disappointing. I really thought you were going to say, we have one down the street. (laughs) No, but... Uh, a side note, when I was doing this research, they have many photos of these uh, monks. And here, let me show you one. This will be in the show notes. Uh, and I realized Whoa. it had reminded me of a certain thing. Oh, yeah. And this is um, this one here is Luang Phu Deng. He's in Thailand. Oh, he's, he's wearing got six sunglasses. Yeah. <laughs> Future's so bright. Yeah. So um, that first one looks very menacing. The first one reminded me of a certain thing for all of you gamer nerds out there. Uh, the the shrines in Breath of the Wild, the Zelda game, uh, the monks that are placed in there are based off of uh, these mummies. So it is kind of a, a cool thing. Uh, but they change the wrappings every six years or twice every zodiac cycle. And then with those wrappings, then they will sell off these talismans. Oh, I was wondering how they made them so cheap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and it's not a lot of, a lot of cloth, but I imagine... So... One of the places in Yamagata they talked about tourism. There's a couple of sites that will just tell you, like, hey, you can come and see these. And then others are like, these are only for monks. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, it looks like you're a winner. I hate you. Yes. Man, I was waiting. I was, like, on my toes the entire time waiting for the the, the, the lie there. Oh, man. Oh, I, I won a week. All right. Give me so, that third one. Extraterrestrial mummies found in Chinese desert. In 1988, Victor H. Mayer, a professor of Chinese language and literature at the University of Pennsylvania, and after his run-in with um, this current story, he actually had a lot to say on the Chilean monkey, uh, mummies. Uh, so he actually, I guess, goes on to be more of a mummy guy than just a Chinese language and literature guy. He's yeah, a pretty cool guy. Good for him. Um, uh, so he studied, he was a professor of Chinese language and literature at the University of Pennsylvania, was at the and was at the regional museum in Orumki, located in Xinjiang, uh, Uyghur Autonomous Region in the far northwest of China, when he noticed a family of human remains on display for an exhibition on Bronze Age and Early Iron Age mummies. According to Mare, the mummies looked very strange for the region, citing light hair, fair skin, long noses, deep set eyes, and thin lips. At first, he thought it was a hoax. You probably think I'm going to tell you that the mummies look strange because they were aliens, right? Well, that doesn't make sense now because we already know this is a lie. (laughs) Actually, it's because they looked European. Mummies in the Tarim Basin had been said to exist in the early 20th century by various Western travelers. However, it did not become a topic of interest in the West until Mare's discovery and subsequent trip in September of 1991 to the Taklamakan Desert. The desert is located in the center of the Tarim Basin and is known to be one of the driest locations on the planet with temperatures below negative 4 degrees Fahrenheit or negative 20 degrees Celsius in the winter and highs of 104 degrees Fahrenheit, 40 degrees Celsius in the summer. With conditions such as these, it is not surprising that the Tarim Basin mummies, which are actually desecrated or severely dried corpses, have been so well preserved. The puzzling part was their European appearance and how old they were dated. The oldest and most famous mummy discovered in the Tarim Basin is known as the Beauty of Lulan. 
a woman of about 45 years old at the time of death who lived during 1800 BCE or about 3800 years ago. Other mummies located across the Tarim Basin dated from between 1100 BCE to roughly 300 BCE, with one man dating between 400 BCE and 300 BCE, found to have horsehair sutures in his abdomen, likely from a surgical incision. So that is very strange for the area. <laughs> strange for a lot of things. Yeah. Unfortunately, their origin is not entirely agreed upon. According to Mare, it is likely that the older mummies are of the Tocharian origin, an Indo-European language that was known to be spoken in the region from 680 to 880 due to similar shared burial customs, such as burying corpses with felt hats. But with over a 2,000-year gap for some of the mummies, it is hardly a conclusive answer. So it seems a little crazy that they're like, oh, it's probably from these people that they have no record of for 2,000 years ever being in that area. Uh, many of the mummies were buried with strange fabrics for the area, such as tartans, a cross-woven fabric resembling the plaid used in Scottish kilts. And I'm going to add a picture of that, too, because these, these mummies are wearing kilts. It's pretty <laughs> cool. <laughs> Whereas a later mummy was found buried with a two-foot-tall felt conical hat that possibly resembled the style worn by Mongols. Those mummies are called the, uh, the Witches of, I think they're found in Shubushu. And these hats are insane. They look like witch hats it's pretty cool but apparently it resembles something that um when the mongols uh were being conquered they had worn even worse according to a 2008 article in the new york times by journalist ed wong mare had been prohibited from leaving china with 52 genetic samples however chinese scientists secretly sent half a dozen samples to be tested after this event china prohibited foreign scientists from conducting research on the mummies but insist the sites are still being excavated. It's possible that the China's distrust of foreign scientists, we may never find out the origin of these wonderfully mysterious dead people. So previously, before they found these mummies, there had always been this belief that um, right at the edge of the desert, which on the north side and the south side are where the two sides of the Silk Road ran. So there was always known to be people along those ends, but the middle of the desert is completely desolate the only way you get through is through oasis towns and some of them don't even exist now so it's almost so, death <laughs> so probably a bunch of white europeans got lost in the desert and... well they because of the difference in times there it seems more so that the there was an actual like trade route through the middle of people that uh came and went they had the dates range for a long time there hmm. to the point of knowing that these people not only were moving through there but for a very long period of time but we hadn't known that there was a big movement of europeans possibly europeans they have a lot of mixed dna some of it is mongolian some is from siberia uh they think it might be from the steppes so it's pretty cool yeah but it's more of a mingling place than we thought with the languages we always thought that Asian languages there was a huge barrier there and neither never shall they cross so yeah it was pretty interesting I like how we both found extraterrestrial stories <laughs> <laughs> well I lied about mine <laughs> uh, any honorable mentions anything interesting come up uh, there there is a really cool one um, just when I was going through my research uh, a type of mummy that's not considered really a mummy but they call them bog bodies or people that are preserved by being left oh, in bogs yeah and one bogs. of the oldest ones is in denmark and like you see the preservation of this it's in it's insane it's in Quarantine. 
And Crane. <laughs> I have a, I have two on King Ramses II. I'm just going to fire it off real quick. Uh, King Ramses II is the first mummy to receive a passport. His passport lists his occupation as, quote, king. I remember that one. Yeah, that's why I didn't choose it. He's the first and only one. A uh, little racy here. Uh, Ramsey's condoms were named after King Ramsey II. He had roughly 160 children. Yeah, I, when I read that one, uh, I thought it was kind of, uh, kind of funny. I, I guess when you're in that sort of business, everything's a little tongue in cheek. But both Ramses, who had a ton of kids, so would signify maybe these aren't the right choice. Uh, but then Trojan condoms, which is like, yeah, but they got in, <laughs> like, <laughs> and they tore that shit down. Maybe, maybe not the best names. <laughs> We're going to find out what Durex means. <laughs> yeah, I, I even have another small one. Uh, it just really didn't materialize into anything, so I didn't, didn't bother to include it. But uh, Egyptians worshipped onions. Uh, so some backstory on onions. Onions are roughly 5,500 years old. Uh, but the number is highly disputed. What is known is that they are a product of Asia. When they were brought to Egypt, the Egyptians believed its spherical shape and concentric rings represented eternity. Egyptians thought so highly of onions, they were heavily used in making mummies. Egyptians would stuff onions in the abdomen, pelvic regions, and often in the space the eyes used to occupy. They believed that the onions would save or bring their dead back and almost always included onions in burials. That is so cool, though. <laughs> I feel like that's, that's way cooler than when you find out the, like, Catholics and Christians earlier hated tomatoes because they were red. <laughs> I love onions so much as the next guy, but that, that just seems a little, a little much. A little much. You don't want to be stared at for eternity with eye, uh, that eyes. That sounds really cool. If I'm being honest. Uh, yeah, they had a they had a lot of um, weird one off stories about the the Buddhist monks, where because there had been hundreds of people who had tried, there had been a lot of different ways people had gone about it in different reasons some think that it was like eternal life others were using it it's like a form of self-immolation where it's like self-sacrifice for uh others uh and one monk was at least one monk was known to have gouged his own eyes out for the the ceremony did he stuff onions in them <sighs> i'm thinking now i'm, re I'm like, really crossed my fingers a, that he did <laughs> he really missed a, a chance there it's like it's like the <laughs> The, media, the, the prehistoric version of having like the googly eyes yeah <laughs> all right are we are we there is that it anything else uh i didn't write anything else down all right well uh thanks for joining us this week uh i'm michael i'm brenna and this has been live patrol bye have a good one for show ideas, inaccuracies, or general comments, you can email us at thelivepatrol at gmail.com. Intro and outro music provided by The Simulation Hypothesis by Revolution Void, found on the Free Music Archive, CCBY license. Thanks for listening.